What's up, everybody? I'm the hook. And I'm the blade. And I'm the wreck. <laughs> and together we're... And together... <laughs> <laughs> we always forget who's supposed to do that part. And together we're... You know. <laughs> Welcome to the Rookblade podcast, a show about all things Assassin's <laughs> Creed Syndicate. We do have a special guest today. She's a moderator of the official Assassin's Creed Discord. She's a member of the Mentors Guild. She's the host of the Rookeries Archives podcast. She is nerdy. She is an archer. <laughs> she is the nerdy archer. How are you doing today? Louise? Hi. I'm doing good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. We're so psyched that you could join us. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Louise is the first person to be on the show that has an accent since Noah. What do you mean I have an accent? You're the ones with the accent. <laughs> I guess that's that's a that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> no, but legitimately, I think I think. I think Louise is the first to make Hookblade history. Our first guest from across the pond. <laughs> and what better episode <laughs> to have me on than the one about Syndicate, hey? I know. Can you believe I didn't even think about that until just this moment? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, wow, she really likes Syndicate. Let's have her on. <laughs> I mean, I also do love Syndicate. <laughs> well, you know what's funny about that is I was... Before I came into in, into the to start, I was pouring some water and I was like, "Wait a second, Louise is is also from the UK, and Syndicate <laughs> takes place in the UK." <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> no Why? wonder she likes Syndicate so much. Why was the water <laughs> the thing that tipped you off there? That's that's so weird. I, water well, is a very I, I do concept. I do my best thinking when I'm when I'm drinking water. Um, hey, I've got a, like a dumb thing to talk to you guys about this week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a pop socket guy. I'm a ride or die pop socket guy. I love pop sockets on my yeah. Phone I'm aware because I just love you know having that sort of grip assistance with with these with these big ass phones. Uh, Louise, do you use uh, the pop socket or a similar implement? The one time I did, I broke it, so I've never trusted them since. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were like the dumbest, goofiest things ever until I tried one and I was like, whoa, I'm, I'll never go back. I've also noticed with you, at least in the times I'm around you, whenever you're finished with your phone, it's just like a part of the ritual to just, you know, slap it closed. You know? It's, it's like, so yeah. satisfying it's nice. though. <laughs> it's like a second screen lock, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know, similar to uh, what happened to poor Louise's pop socket, mine <laughs> mine started a break recently. No. I thought, you know what? It's time to make a change. It's time to do something different. I did some research. What, what are some of the other technologies available to us right now? What's something that's like thinner, you know, less of a, a thing? I found this little product, little known product called the O-Snap Grip. And it is like a whole paradigm shift for how to grip your phone. Oh, fuck. I just dropped my phone. That's <laughs> Dude, that's perfect. Oh, snap. That's amazing. That's totally going to come out in the recording. <laughs> it is the best way to grip your phone. And <laughs> to, be, to be clear, I was not using the grip while I said that. <laughs> that is the best timing. That was perfect. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so so the O-Snap 
I only bring this up because, like, I, I don't know. I, I had a problem where I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to be able to rotate this thing. I won't rotate. So I emailed their support. I was like, hey, guys, <laughs> you advertise I could rotate the grip, but I'm not able to do such a thing. And then they responded, like, in the in the most polite way possible. And I, there's <laughs> no understatement here to be like, <laughs> they said this thing that is maybe not super flattering to me but said it in a way that I felt like comforted and helped by it. They were like, your grip is probably not defective. It's just hard to figure out how to rotate it at first. And then they explained, you have to, you have to apply some force to it. They didn't want it rotating willy nilly while you're holding the phone. And I tried, I was like, they were right. And they also said in their support email, like, oh, we're a really small startup company. So if you could leave us a review, that'd be nice. So I did. And I wanted to this shout out. This is the review. Because this is a really, it's a review now for the O-Snap Grip. They have not sponsored this, but it's like an awesome little thing. It's like super like low key. It's like really thin on the back of the phone. It's magnetic, so you can like stick it to car mounts and put it on your refrigerator if you want. I don't, why you'd stick it on your phone or the fridge, I don't know. But I do, it, <laughs> I do it sometimes because I can. I can think of a reason. If if you're following a recipe, you just slap that baby onto the fridge and you're done. You're done, though. That's not where I went. I went 3 a.m. snack feast. Yeah. When you're still watching there Netflix and it's like, I don't want to leave this. Ooh. I don't want to pause it. <laughs> it's coming with me. Mm-hmm. It's it's this weird design where essentially it's like this little piece of plastic in a circular ring, and that plastic is attached to the ring by like a stretchy silicone band. So you slide your finger under the plastic piece. And it like essentially elasticizes the phone to your hand. You can like flip it into various positions to make it a kickstand at various angles. So it's like, it's kind of a technological marvel. So are you saying it's better than the pop socket? Uh, for now, yes. Until it like betrays me, I'm going to say it's better than the pop socket. So yeah, there you go. But we spent entirely too long uh, talking about this. So <laughs> any other <laughs> dumb things before we move on? Not to just hone in the fact that I'm completely British. I just found a completely random tea bag in my pocket for no particular wow. reason. What the hell? How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great answer. That happens to me sometimes, but with Frigo string cheese. I'll like put one in my pocket intending to have it as a snack shortly after. <laughs> I never put anything in my pocket. I, what is going on here? And then hours later, I'm like, why is there a lukewarm cheese stick oh, in, no. my, in my pocket? But I don't just randomly just munch on tea bags. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so why have I got a you were like, one? You were like, I'm going to have this tea later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I better keep this on me just in case. You never know the emergency situation where you might need in case of a tea emergency. Okay, well, l- well let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. It, let's say if you had if you were just carrying a tea bag on you because you you you, you, you might want some tea. Like how possible is it as a tea drinker if you're on the go? Like would you is it as simple as just just keeping a thermos of of hot water? Do do they make products that help you with tea, getting tea on the go except for just going to Starbucks or, or just putting the tea in a thermos and taking yeah. it with you somewhere. Every Brit has a, a like an inner homing signal for tea bags and kettles. You can see any in a 10 mile radius. <laughs> <laughs> there are sync points. Where you restore your health and syndicate by drinking tea. 
Oh, that would be amazing. Speaking of syndicate. (laughs) Speaking of tea. So, all right. You love syndicate. We figured as much, given that your podcast is titled The Rookery's Archives. Yeah. (laughs) What... What what is it about Syndicate that makes it is is it your favorite AC game full stop or is it just one you like more? Oh god. Um well Syndicate was the game that was coming out when I got into the franchise. Okay. It was that summer after E3. And the guy who introduced it to me was like, Oh, there's these two protagonists in it, and the woman reminds me of you. Uh-huh. And like <laughs> and then we watched the trailer, immediately pre-ordered the game, and then he proceeded to call me Evie for the next two years. He still uh, will message me stuff like, Hey Evie, check. Is that something you like? <laughs> yeah, I find it hilarious. <laughs> but he's called Connor, so that he's, makes he's it not funnier like, for call me. Call me Henry. <laughs> nah. <laughs> That that's interesting. That makes sense. I think everybody has like a soft spot for what was coming out when they got into it. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. I have like I love both like pretty much all the games in the franchise. And like Syndicate isn't perfect. We'll get onto that, but yeah. Syndicate isn't perfect, but <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. Um I know loads of people have it lower down on their like rankings yeah. of the games lists, which one out. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um no, I just, it's just the one that I keep coming back to and like picking up at the lore and like the aesthetic and the music. I think it's the big thing. Oh, I love the music. That's, that's my first note is like the music in Syndicate is underrated. Yeah, because it Austin Wintry is a genius. Austin Wintry is a, is a G. There was a solid like six months where like ambient music when I was out walking or on the train or something was just <laughs> the Syndicate soundtrack on shuffle. <laughs> There's something about the ambient music in Syndicate that I feel like is somehow different than previous games. I feel like it, the way it comes in and out is just somehow more fitting. I don't know. It's hard yeah. to describe. Like, it works really well. Yeah. There's also the great, I don't know if you, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure this is, the, the intention is when you do a viewpoint, a certain song will start to play. And then if you just sit on top of the viewpoint, the song will still kind of go through the motions. But if you jump and then somehow it, it cuts to where it, it still sounds seamless, but it, it's to where the song will end once you hit the haystack. And yeah. Yeah. Mo- every time I did it, this it always cut between the song that was playing and, and skipping to the end before I hit the haystack seamlessly. I never could identify like with where the cut was made. I don't know. Well, the moment was that's awesome yeah i don't think i ever noticed that but that's crazy i relate to your appreciation of syndicate i've always been kind of a syndicate apologist <laughs> you know <laughs> i uh it was my number three game for a while mm. i think my replay of revelations dethroned it and that took the number three spot but syndicate's still number four it's still in my top five i think i have a an appreciation for it for mainly two reasons. One is because I have a twin sister. So like that feels like I feel represented <laughs> by this game. <laughs> and uh, and the other thing is uh, I'm always like an advocate of like when it comes to Assassin's Creed, the more modern, the better for me. Like I want a World War II game or a, you know, Russian Revolution game. Like I'm all about shit yeah. happening in the last century. And even though Syndicate doesn't do that, it's still, you know, 1868 or whatever. Like, there is the World War One rift. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my, like, period of history, too, so. Yeah. That's what it's, that's, that's like, I love, I love the World War One rift. We could talk about it's it later, so but good. I love it so much. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Syndicate itself is like the most modern full AC game we've gotten, and that alone earns it some major points for me. Tim, what's what's been your general Syndicate feeling? Uh, well, uh, it, it, I don't think it's moved on the rankings at all because it's kind of just stuck where it is because there's no way it's surpassing Black Flag, but there's right. no way it's worse than Unity or 3 or Rogue or anything like that, you know? Yeah, that's It's fair. very much stuck where it's at. I wanted to move it lower after this, but I just, <laughs> there was no way to do it. So uh. Uh, I, I always kind of looking back, like I had the same sentiment as most at the very least that like Syndicate is it's more functional than Unity. It's better yeah. than Unity. You know, it has a, it has a fine story. You know, there's some there's some gameplay, uh, you know, the, there's some major gameplay issues, but this time around, I, I that kind of just moderate opinion of it was turned into a more negative opinion of it. And so I guess I can ex- explore that in this episode. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Louise and I are going to bully you about it. So. <laughs> it's going to be like Black Flag again. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Some people have really strong opinions about Syndicate, I found. It's either yeah. it's like var- Marmite and Vegemite. You either love it or you hate it. <laughs> And I was what? 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 Do you not have marmite in America? Yeah. What? What is that? Oh my god! It's like <laughs> oh my we god. We have Taco Bell in America. It's like <laughs> it's like a condiment you put on toast. That's sort of made from toast. Yeah. yeah. What else do you put on toast besides butter? Beans. Marmite, Vegemite, Bovril, maybe. Oh god, not Bovril. No. <laughs> do they not put Bovril on toast? Beans on toast? Come on. Classic British snacks here. <laughs> I don't I don't understand what Marmite and Vegemite are fully, but <laughs> I understand that there are things that that taste bad that British people like. Yeah. People have strong <laughs> opinions about it. Like they either love it or they hate it. And I was reading through the comments of your Unity video. <laughs> And there was someone being like, oh, I can't wait for them to deconstruct and rip syndicate to shreds. And I'm sitting here like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You're like, is that what I've signed on for? Are are they just going to bully me? I'm prepared to be devil's advocate. I'm British. I can handle this. (laughs) Whatever that was, I I forget, must must not have heard our ranking episode because I was right there. I had syndicate at number three at that point, I think. so. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I do like Syndicate. And I think that the differences between Syndicate and Unity are like they highlight a very interesting sort of difference in people's taste because I can understand why someone prefers Unity to Syndicate. And it's a simple matter of Unity has just this very strong vision. It has this really clear and concise and focused idea of what it wants to be, what that tone is, what that world is like, that experience. And it's very cinematic, it's very moody, and it's it's just, it's very specific. But they have, like, really kind of fucked up the execution of that vision in a lot of places. Syndicate is executed pretty beautifully as far as the actual moment-to-moment gameplay experience goes. It's well-designed, it's cohesive, it's not broken, the systems play together nicely, the experience is enjoyable. But it just feels like the vision that they've executed on is a very confusing one. Like, okay, it's Victorian London, but it's bright and happy. And it's like they're twins and it's like a buddy cop thing. And there's a gang like it's not even remotely approaching the kind of like singular vision that Unity had. And I I do maintain that, like, if 
neither of these games existed. And what we got instead was one of the vision of unity executed with the confidence and, and quality of syndicates gameplay. It would be the best Assassin's Creed game ever made, but instead we have these two games that are just not perfect on their own. They're missing something. I think for most people, if you care about that vision more than you care about the execution, that's going to make unity your favorite and vice versa. I, I do. I, I agree with you. I, I think the only part where I start to disagree is just at the where you say it was it's like the vision like the uh, vision is realized beautifully like on like on a moment to moment stuff you mean I'm not saying that like oh syndicate does such a great job at realizing its vision because its vision is confusing to me I right. don't love its vision my point is that sure. the experience of yeah. it it's like I think it's on a gameplay level really well executed and. It's just that like the story that's powering that gameplay and the aesthetic and the premise and all of that visionary stuff is like just not super compelling, I think, because it doesn't feel like it is. Yeah, you can definitely feel doesn't like feel cohesive. They, they might have had a different plan for what the story was going to be. Right. And then it's been thrown out the window or adjusted or like, say, they've shunted in the other twin. So right. wasn't there that thing that Evie was meant to be the, the main character and then they just introduced Jacob? Because when you look yeah. at like some of the other right. comics, I think it's Locus. Yeah. It's set in 1872, so it's just after. But there's only Evie and Henry. There's no hint at all about Jacob. Interesting. I never knew that. It's really easy to assume that, you know, with especially with those uh those yeah. screenshots and whatnot that we saw very early on, it's it's it was always easy to assume that that this game was going to be different either tonally or different main character or, or, or rather a lack of a main character even only whatever it is but you'll hail him like as as last he's talked about it likes to suggest that nothing was changed and he got to realize his exact vision for this and if that is the case then yeah it's a weird one i guess to it's, it's a weird hill to die on because i don't know if you know i don't know if it's something to be proud of <laughs> necessarily <laughs> i it's weird because like I've definitely noticed uh, in various Assassin's Creed games that like there's a tonal balancing act in all of them where they want to indulge in like sort of fun pop culture, like, you know, goofy stuff. And they also want to be sometimes more serious and grounded. And the, the games that people tend to to crowd around as they're shining like examples of great AC storytelling, like think of AC2 and AC4. They're both games that are serious stories that are grounded in reality, but they have these like humorous and lighthearted moments and characters and weaved beautifully through them. And then Syndicate is like on the other end of that spectrum where there's not a lot of groundedness or seriousness to it. It's kind of just a let's save London for the clout. It's like fun wish fulfillment in a way. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. London totally isn't grimy and disgusting. Go swim in the Thames. <laughs> Don't swim in the Thames. I wouldn't recommend yeah. it. I would not. <laughs> I would not recommend it. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind if I ever go <laughs> to London. It's an interesting point, right? Because consider the tone of, of Syndicate as it stands. Like it is very much let's save London for the cloud. <laughs> let's go and start a gang and in, in, in call the rooks. And it's it's very lighthearted. And I and I feel like that detracts slightly from you're playing as assassins again. Yeah. Not so much again, I guess, because Unity, right after Unity was, you know, was Arno was an assassin. But to me, you know, a lot of what people say about Syndicate is like, well, at least you play as, a, as an assassin. At least you are part of the creed and all that. And it's like, I don't know if that's 100% true. <laughs> because 
you are you are technically assassins, but you're 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 kind of rogue yeah. at this point. And your targets They disobeyed George yeah. at the beginning. They went AWOL. Yeah, exactly. And they don't they don't feel like targets, the people who you are going after. They just kind of feel like people who you need to get rid of. They I, it always confuses me how after every kill, even Jacob does this. He he uses a, a, a handkerchief and he kind of, you know, and he, and he wipes the blood on it similar to a feather. Who is he doing that for? Is Henry checking these? Is he is he delivering the <laughs> And so while I think it's 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 technically true that you play as assassins, I don't think any of that is necessarily present in what little of it is with Evie. You don't play as Eevee for all the game. So I, I don't know if it necessarily counts in some of those other examples yeah. like Ezio or or even I Edward. Think- but we know that the twins were brought up as assassins. Like, yeah, Ethan only yeah. collected them and raised them from when they were six years old because he was in Amristar in India during that time when they were with their grandmother. But they still have, like, the childhood and the grounding of knowing that they were assassins, that they grew up with a father who was an assassin right. and also a school teacher. So it would have been a really great opportunity to have, like, a way of having a foot in the door from childhood because we... From what we saw of like Ezio, who grew up with an, um, an assassin family, we don't know what his childhood really was like. Like, yeah, right. How much did the twins know about the Brotherhood growing up? What was their training like? How different was their life? Did they know that they were going to be assassins? Did they get the choice in the training? It would have been a really good way of, even if it wasn't through flashbacks, maybe just like offhand comments or something, of introducing something to world build that piece we don't see before yeah i yeah i think that's that that would have been really interesting like we have not really seen the perspective of like what a kid in an assassin family that isn't outright hiding their assassinness from their kids would actually look like but tim you raise an interesting point because i think i think you're completely right in the sense that syndicate is very clearly the next step after black flag in the process of of saying this is an Assassin's Creed game, but the primary fantasy of the game is not to be an assassin. I think that the name, it's right there in the name. It's called Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which is a terrible name for this game because it's focusing on the gang element that really isn't material to the story in almost any way. It's It feels like a side mechanic that's been elevated, graduated to title status because Black Flag being so successful must have told the Ubisoft brass that fans are welcoming to games where the assassin stuff is second fiddle to a different kind of fantasy. And now, of course, years later, we've seen that played out to like the most outrageous possible extent. Um, but I definitely think Syndicate counts for that. I think it's it's on that spectrum of the point is not to be an assassin. The point is to be a in London with a gang. Right. And and there's still some of those like residual assassin assassin elements because probably just because of Yohalem, you yeah. know. But you know when I'm when I'm doing things even as Evie who is like a stickler for the creed, I I don't feel like I'm being an assassin necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for whatever reason, it it could be because of the lack of a, of the council. You know, maybe the council should have been in this game. I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I think from a tonal aspect, it makes sense to why, like, Jacob and Evie are, like, kind of fish out of water. They they weren't raised in London or anything. They've, they've never been there. Yeah. And so, and, you know, now that I'm thinking about that, not to jump all over the place, but I, I did want to mention how there's something about Jacob's character in this game where I think 
there's so, I, I feel like there's something compelling about a character who's kind of in over his head. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of like a fish out of water and who's innocent enough, you know, but he keeps messing up. And I think they could have really played into that with Jacob, you know, coming from this small place outside of London and now he's playing with the big boys and he and he just can't handle it. However, I don't know if, if that's the effect I perceived. I think he's just more reckless and in, endangering things more than he is just kind of like he he seems less over, in over his head and more like he just doesn't he doesn't care it's not it's not interesting to him he just wants to yeah start a gang and whatnot and so that i i don't care for so much so so that is that's part of why i feel like the there's there's this disconnect between the assassin stuff is because there is a tonal justification for it i just think it would have been more interesting had the council been present and Jacob and Evie had been sent to London because that that aspect doesn't necessarily serve the story in a positive way. Them being there without the say of the council because is, is the council corrupt? Do they not know what they're doing? You know what I mean? Anyway, I no, I think Jacob has like a character arc if you squint at it. Yeah, you know, for like, me, it felt very much like the character arc was nothing at all, and then you get to meeting Roth in sequence eight, and it skyrockets, and it's like, oh, yeah, character development, yeah, for hooray! Sure. And it, it does have an interesting relationship with the, like, I think the Pearl Attaway mission and the, the Maxwell Roth sequence, like, play together really well. Because in both, he has to, like, you know, he's kind of fucking up by trusting these people who are not mm. on his side. And, like, there is, like, an, a naivete to Jacob, an innocence that, that makes him, I think he has slightly more depth than just being this, like, brash, fuck it, I do yeah. what I want. Like, he is that guy. But there is the naivete and innocence there that plays off in those in those sequences. My only like real issue is that I think that final sequence when they're finally taking on Steric should have done more to like cement a change for him, should have given him a choice to make that would have shown like he's ready to do things the right way. He's ready to be mm. smarter. Right. He's ready to follow Evie a little bit. Yeah. Just because they're in their relationship and that sequence, they're working together now and they're they're kind of like they've made up after this fight that they've had. That would have worked better if it involved them making any sort of choices or changes about who they are as people. Like if Jacob and Evie had to not just say, oh, we're best friends again, but also we're best friends again. And we see the points that the other was trying to make. And like Evie is ready to be a bit more reckless. And that's what she has to do for this mission. And Jacob has to be a bit more thoughtful. And that's what he has to do for this mission. And see, they're a perfect team. They bring out the best in each other. They're, they're brother and sister. The, the hooray right off into the sunset like that would have been amazing <laughs> the crate escape shows that really really well it's the only mission where you get to see both of them on a mission together yeah, yeah it goes haywire but it's evie being <laughs> slightly chaotic and i think it's really nice to see them like working which one is it's, that i think it's sequence four where they have to with the with carriage, the carriage yeah. in, the, in the trunk and the box it's where you get yeah, you journal. Know, i was going to I was, huh. I was just gonna point out i was just gonna point to that mission as an aspect of jacob's character that's not like naive he after that has gone haywire because of him he's like well sorry sis sorry you didn't get everything you wanted see you later you know <laughs> he's like that was fun let's do it again he's not like even sorry about him messing up her mission yeah so that's me. Like he's not. He's he's never remorseful after he realizes that Roth is not who he thought he was. He he just he just throws in the towel and he gives up. And that to me isn't Jacob feeling depressed and is just like I don't want to I, I don't want to bother anymore. 
He's like, let's Derek have the shroud because I'm not really interested. And that to mm. me is not compelling. I didn't Jacob. get that vibe af- for the cutscene after Ross' assassination. Okay. Especially considering with that in that like 12 hour period between the penultimate and the last mission in sequence eight, which is the one where he nearly blows up children and then the Alhambra. <laughs> I, it's, it's been a hell of a day for him. And then you have that, <laughs> yeah. that whole, that, you know, kiss thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think cause it was pretty much the same evening. I don't think his head's in the right space. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't really hold himself to the creed as much as, his sister but like this guy's just gone through a lot okay (laughs) (laughs) can i say something that i noted that because i'm always like remembered and appreciated the maxwell roth mission and i still do but i kind of appreciate it less on this playthrough just because i feel like that turn that like hairpin turn of like wait you don't want to kill some kids (laughs) like that's just it's a little aggressive (laughs) and it's kind of cut down by the fact that like, I mean, if you remember how that plays out, right? Maxwell says, we're going to kill them kids. Fuck them kids. Jacob says, no, save the kids. And then two minutes later, he gets that like box from like with with a letter in it. And you just have to imagine Maxwell Roth. He's like, hold on. I'm going to write Jacob a letter. Tell him I'm mad at him. I think, (laughs) I think he already had that plan though. Like from walking into the Alhambra for the first time at the beginning of the sequence, you can see them getting yeah. ready for the play. And then Roth gets the quote unquote pet bird, which you could use as an uh, allegory for Jacob's his pet bird. I don't know. Um, uh, and then you look like Corvus the trickster is the name of the play that they're putting on. And uh, Rooks are a, a Corvus. Hmm. Um, so I think that Roth, oh. <laughs> I think Roth had this planned. <laughs> No, you're well, totally okay. right. Well, I'm here's, just a dumbass. You're 100% <laughs> no, correct. No, here's the only thing that here's the only thing that could make that not so is when <laughs> Jacob is like, "We're not playing games anymore, Roth." Roth seems surprised. He seems like he's I mean, you could imagine it's theatrical, right? Like he's playing this I, part. I suppose maybe, maybe it's maybe. like he wanted it to be more public or he want, he expected it after the firestorm when people can witness the quote the breakup as it were. So they can mm. have this because he's a theatrical man at heart. He wants people to witness yeah. this. He that's why he had that thing at the Alhambra. That's why he set it on fire. He wanted people to see, and he wanted people to know. Like he wouldn't do things quietly. Right. I think that's fair. That's a good point. You know what? I take back everything I said. Uh, Maxwell Rossi, which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm on team team Roth. It, it it is it is a little unfortunate though that that. For a lot of the, for a lot of the Jacob stuff, it's just kind of, oh, I trusted the wrong person. Great, you know that that, that happens maybe one too many times. Mm. You know what? I don't know because I was gonna say that 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 in the Ross sequence, he's making this choice of like, I'm not gonna go along with this, and you know that's not really something he does in the Pearl instance. Like he's pretty much on board until he just happens to eavesdrop on Daddy Steric making making his entrance. And, <laughs> you know, so like. So, you know, it's like, I don't know. Does it count as an arc? It feels like one. It feels like one, but maybe mechanically it's not all I think as a player, it doesn't feel like one because when you look at, like, the reveal trailers, they spoil the, what should have been a dramatic thing of, dun, 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 it's Pearl Attaway, who's the Templar, but no, you actually see 
it being spelled out for you very, very clearly. That's a good point. So I feel like it could have had more of an impact. And I think they have learned because in later games and later reveal trailers, you don't have that. Like with the reveal of Deimos yeah. and who they are, right. being like Cassandra's sibling or Alexios, depending on who you picked, you never got a word of that in the trailers. It was just, right. here yeah. they are. It was a cool moment. And you know what? I'm glad you brought up Odyssey because I want to draw some parallels, I think, between Syndicate and Odyssey in terms of the storyline. You know, we talked last episode about how Quebec has handled historical characters similarly between the two games, but also something that I think is true of both games. Uh, Tim and I actually argued with our friend White Wolf Whispers about this. She she disagrees with me, but I feel like, <laughs> like between Syndicate and Odyssey, both of those stories are like well-structured. They are well-built. They have... Like uh, a solid progression of plot and character that the like works works really well and motivates the gameplay. There's 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 a bit more meat to it than you know just like say go to Unity's story and it's like things are just happening for the sake of that's what needs to happen. Uh, like I appreciate in Syndicate that like that some of the best Assassin's Creed games are ones where they take the time to make you care about whether or not a target dies before you have to kill them. Like think about AC2, you you know all those bad guys before you kill them. That's, Same with pretty much AC4 true. for the most yeah. part. Same with Syndicate. Syndicate you you get to like No, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> with what part of that? Uh it, it's pretty much unity where you're just going between people and like you meet I feel like you meet them almost instantly and kill them. It's, it's It just feels like Unity, where you're just stabbing people. You're just going through a ladder of people, just stabbing them in, without I disagree, thought. and let me explain I kind of or, or Louise can. <laughs> <laughs> See, I kind of agree with both of you, but I kind of disagree with both of you at the same time. Ooh. Because, <laughs> Beautiful. like you said, there are missions where you can get to intimately know these players. Um, like, you know Pearl and Roth extremely well. You kind of get the hints of Brudenel if you're paying attention and know your history like I did, which spoil that reveal. Um, but <laughs> on the other hand, Ferris and Elliotson. Elliotson gets a bit of characterization with like yeah. the whole stuff with Lucy Thorne, but Ferris is just done. As soon as Jacob climbs out the window and derails a train, that's it. Bru- uh, Tupany is just there to be assassinated. He isn't really introduced as no... There's just one shot of him walking past at the beginning of the sequence, and then you don't see him again until you're breaking into the Bank of England. Let me let me amend my statement, because I think we agree more than you might think. I'm not saying that like all of these games do this for every target. I'm just saying they do this for, you know, a good number of targets, mm. because... Like there are definitely targets in AC2 and AC4 that don't matter. That's that's what happens yeah. in these games. Yeah. There are people you kill that you find out about in that sequence. I do give Syndicate some bonus points for because I think even in those cases, even though it's a little bit on the nose and obvious, like they at least try to give you like one scene, even though and that's the easiest thing to do. You know, why is this person bad? Why do I want to kill them? You know, for Ferris, he tells a little injured kid to fuck off. That's that's not a whole hell of a lot to go on, but it makes me want to kill him. Or like I love the doctor who's like, mm, it appears I've ruined the organ. Like, he that's was hilarious. like that in real life, though. <laughs> yeah. Elliot's a historical character and was like that in real life. That's disturbing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it works. Like that stuff works for me. And and a lot of these newer games, you know, 
you're you're killing people before you know anything about them and in unity to some extent you're killing somebody before you know why they're why they're bad or if they're bad you just know they're related to this conspiracy so i think my point holds that water okay yeah i do appreciate crawford starrick as a villain though like he doesn't he doesn't do much but from the cut scenes we see of him before sequence nine you get a pretty good handling of his character and his ability and Oh my god. <laughs> it's He's just he's a scene chewing kind of aggressive villain and he's not very yeah, deep. If but we he's use fun. like a DD alignment system, he's like lawful evil. <laughs> he thinks he's doing the right thing by like yeah. reflexively like, oh, inflation's happening, I'll raise wages. I'll make sure people like me enough to keep me safe. Yeah. Sort of thing. I used to think that there's a there's a very viable read of this game that is like a low-key critique on capitalism. <laughs> I mean, they have Karl Marx. They say as much in the trailer. They say as much in the trailer. Jacob is like to promote capitalism, and it, and like I, I don't. They don't really say it explicitly in the game, but I mean, yeah, definitely <laughs> <laughs> is there. It's definitely mentioned in the trailer, and 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 that's the thing is the Industrial Revolution, generally speaking, as as an historical moment, is always used as a this is capitalism gone wrong. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think, yeah, if, if you're doing a story in Dutch Revolution, that's probably what... It's the easiest thing to fall back on, especially when you've got, like, you you start the game off in the East End. You've got Charles Dickens, who, you know, yeah. Oliver Twist and, and Hard Times and stuff like that, and laissez-faire <sighs> politics. And If anything, this game doesn't go hard enough on that because Ubisoft is generally, as a company, very committed to not ruffling any political feathers. You can watch fucking like Far Cry 5 and it's about like, you know, this evil religious cult and they still not to get us into like really dodgy territory here, you know, but like it's less about what you agree with politically or ideologically in this case. I think it's just more about I think we have more respect for stories that commit to a a particular point. And I don't think Syndicate can get credit for committing to like any sort of anti-capitalist message. It's just sort of there. It's not really integrated into the story. It's not motivating anything. That's the Ubisoft MO. It it just definitely makes me wonder, like, considering that's true, because I agree with you for the most part on that. Considering that's true, why even bother putting Karl Marx? <laughs> if if you're not trying to make a political statement or what yeah. have you, that's I. And I'm not saying Ubisoft is making a political statement with having Karl yeah. Marx. He's he's a he's a figure in histor- history. He's a popular figure, but it, it is it is still a little curious. It's uncharacteristically as to why, ballsy you know? for Ubisoft. That's for sure. But but you know, and and like I mentioned to to you before, it is interesting though because of Apparently, some of our Karl Marx fans yeah. in the AC community don't like his representation because he's not Karl Marx yeah. enough, which is kind of very Ubisoft. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's like the thing with Unity and the whole politics behind the French Revolution thing. Some people thought they weren't yeah. going hard enough, and some people thought that maybe they shouldn't have done it in the first place. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, it's politics. Everyone has a different perception of it. Right. Yeah. Might always be some backlash. Going going back to Steric, I used to think kind of where you guys are at, where it's like the scenes that we get of him after each target killing or, or what have you, like, that's cool. It's kind of fixes the Cesare problem where you don't really see him very much unless you up until where you see him with Ezio and it's kind of like rushed and... Uh, there, there need to be more buildup. I, I do appreciate being able to see Steric, you know, interact with things, and having 
Jacob and Evie completely separate to him. My issue still remains, though, kind of what I had an issue with in terms of Cesare is I feel like the meeting of Steric and Evie and like should be this. Louise, have you seen Spider-Man Homecoming? I have. It, it should be like uh, Michael Keaton and Tom Holland in that scene where he shows up to take oh, his daughter. Oh, gosh. Ooh. It should be that. And I don't know if it is because there's just something about perhaps it's, perhaps it's the game's length. I don't think it succeeded, though, because as we have that moment, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not going I'm not losing my mind. Like, holy shit, it's it's Derek and Evie in the same yeah. room. Uh, yeah, I get I understand. <laughs> it's always hard to make me care about a villain that I don't get to interact with in the video game. I think that games are starting to figure that out more and more, but it's something that AC games have always struggled with. And sometimes they do it well. Like, I mean, you can say Charles Lee, at least you get to interact with him a few times, you know. And that makes him a more interesting yeah. villain. You know, uh, obviously Rodrigo Borgia is a great example of do doing it right. But also, like, there's this whole slate of AC games, especially recently, pretty much counting every single one since Syndicate, at least, where, like, the villain is treated as, like, a surprise reveal, but it's no one that's that you care about or was interested in at all. Yeah. You know? Germain is that. Origins is that. Odyssey does that. Valhalla kind of does that, yeah. I guess, with Alfred. So, not really villain, but, you know. And 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 Folke. Yeah, and Folke. Oh, right. Folke is a good so, villain. I thought they did Folke did quite like <laughs> I like Folke. But, but my point is, like, but you she, know. Yeah, she's very much a surprise villain, yeah. Steric gets half credit for the fact that we see him at all. Like we get to those cutscenes. That's more than some, that's more legwork into characterizing the villain than some AC games are willing to do. But we still never get the relationship between the hero and the villain that makes us care about beating them. He hasn't kicked our ass at any point. It's also infinitely harder, even not even that you don't get to interact with the villain, but that is the first time that Steric has even seen yeah. Evie. Yeah. He's at the ball at Buckingham Palace and suddenly, oh God, Evie's trapped. I didn't feel stressed. It's supposed to be a high octane moment of yeah. like when the Marzuka ends or Marzuka, however you pronounce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when this song ends, people will die. A coup will happen. You just... Nothing really comes of it. Yeah, it's not as tense as it should be. Yeah, mm -hmm. if if you played a bit as Evie at that point, maybe having a point where you have to try and weave your way through this and try and, I don't know, signal Jacob from where you are or something. On the other hand, like play as Crawford in the lead up. <laughs> yeah, you know, and also what I think, I, I think kind of on that same line of thinking, what you're saying is it would have been neat if instead of Crawford being like, after the song ends everyone will die. And then you just switch to Jacob and it's like, okay, cleaned it up. <laughs> what would have been neat is if, is if perhaps like you play as Jacob and then like suddenly your screen goes black and then Steric is like, yeah, we already accounted for, for your brother doing something. So we also have him now. Oh. Like that would have been, that would have been tense, but instead it's just, okay, yeah. well, while Evie's dancing with Steric, I'm going to kill all the snipers and, and save the day. Yeah. It would have been neat if it actually took them two together. Yeah, exactly. What I think's interesting is if you read through Starrick's uh, database entry, it, mentioned he, it mentions that he's the younger brother. So there's an older Starrick brother kicking around somewhere in London. Wow. Cool. Which hmm. I think is quite an interesting loose thread that they could have weaved in somewhere. Like, is yeah. he... Like, he has a twin, he has a twin oh, brother. Is he the one that's 
intercepting the letters to give to Henry or something. Is he a turncoat? Is he a mole? Yeah. yeah. Steric doesn't, for, for as smart and cunning as Steric is, he, at first, I, I really appreciate the scene where he's like, I have people working in factories for me that are going to be working for the me for the rest speech. of their lives. They are oh my God, I love the and, tea speech. And you're speech. telling me of this. Yeah it's, yeah, it's great. And he's like, you're t- and you're telling me about Jacob Fry? No thanks. Get out of yeah. here. But in, and then, but then the rest of the game, it's somehow, you know, Steric is still being fucked with by Jacob and Evie. And so for as cunning and as smart as he is, he, he doesn't ever pull one over on, on our characters, except for when he has the shroud. And even then he's still, he's still overpowered. Yeah. I think that's fair. Mm. Also, this game takes place in one year. And there's no like It seems like it takes place in a day. Yeah, there's no like clear time frame. Like we know it's eighteen sixty eight. We know it stays eighteen sixty eight. And if you read through some of the other stuff, it's like, okay, so Ethan, their father, dies around the beginning of February. Supposedly in some of the stuff, they get the rooks at the end of Feb, early March, which is the end of sequence three, but and then sequence eight and nine, the last five or so missions of the game take place in 24 hours. Beyond that, yeah. who yeah. knows? Fucking yeah. wow. <laughs> it's also equally confusing because there's never a clear de- delineation between when the rooks become the rooks because they're not they're not the rooks at the beginning and then they become the rooks suddenly. They're called the clinkers. The, the clinkers. The clinkers. <laughs> Let's shine these clinkers I up then, shall an we? <laughs> and that's it. Let's shine these clinkers up. <laughs> they're called that once, but even as you're walking down that road with Henry, they're still the rook symbol. <laughs> the database entry never changes from clinkers to rooks. I love your tweet uh, a little while ago where you're like, what is up with that guy in the carriage who adjudicates oh God, yes. gang conflicts? Like, who is he? Yeah. Where does he come from? <laughs> He's Steric's older brother. <laughs> He's called Percy now. I love him. I was is that we've we've named him? I'm gonna call him Percy. <laughs> I think that's a Percy the Adjudicator. We need to get a uh, a Percy fan fiction going. <laughs> uh, the life Starrett. of the adjudicator. <laughs> Louise, hello. How do you feel about Henry? <laughs> Have either of you read the um, Underworld novelization? Nope, not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so tell us, does it does it make him a great character? Because we love we love Arbaz Mir. <laughs> we love that comic. So then you will hate it. Okay, so slight spoilers <laughs> for the book. Arbaz is kind of a dick. Interesting. What? So okay, that makes Henry's sense. backstory that makes sense. is: he a bad father? He sentenced Henry to death for failing his blooding. So, Good job, so Henry's about six years older than the twins, and around 1862, he did his first assassination, but he botched it because he he doesn't have the heart of a killer. I think there's a quote huh. from his mum later on saying, um, "You can be a great assassin without being a killer," but at that point. Arbaz is so intent on no, you are going to be an assassin. You are going to get this kill. You are going to be a good man, like this way. Mm. And like this is around the time that Ethan was also still training him and had warned Arbaz several times that you know Henry isn't a killer. Maybe he should do something else and be an assassin. Like I don't know. Like we see um, Hytham or Matlick. Like he's the archivist guy. He's sweet and nice. Yeah, he's the bureau yeah, dude. He would be the bureau dude, and he's the Rafik. Yeah, but the thing, but because he botched it so badly, and he did it in a way that nearly compromised the brotherhood. 
that they were going to sentence him to death until Ethan Fry Whoa. saved him and sent him to London. Because his name's not Henry, it's Jayadeep Mir. Yeah, right. But he's never once called that. You would never know that unless you read the book. Under If Henry's whole point is of his character is that he's the non-killer assassin, does Syndicate kind of undermine that inherently by like having him participate and join in on field work and beat up people and stuff? Because Evie does say, you belong in the field with me. Yeah, that's how it ends, you know? Like, his arc in the game is like, I fucked up mm-hmm. a field mission, I've lost my confidence, and then... By the end, he did he, that. You know, he kind of regains that confidence, saves the day. Saves the day. What are you on about? Not he saves throws the a day. knife and gets knocked out immediately. But the no, distraction but, you know, calls you know I mean. the like, opportunity. It's a oh, lot. Whatever. For him. You know what I mean? Like he's just showing Henry's up. He's a good boy, and he's participating. <laughs> Dude, I w- I could not help but just like I just I was so I was so flabbergasted that Henry shows up. I forgot this is how it went down. Throws his knife and he just gets clobbered immediately <laughs> i was like oh great henry's gonna f- show some moves and he doesn't <laughs> like, maybe it would have been better if he had but yeah. I, i'm just saying like <laughs> i i'm not saying his arc is good last thing i'll say about story is you have always said that you like the dynamic of jacob fucking stuff up and then evie coming to fix it yeah then this playthrough i found that less charming because it just felt like evie was just delegated to clean up and not actually being able to do her own thing besides Lucy. Like, everything else is yeah. just, let me fix Jacob's mistake. And I don't know if that's the most interesting place for her character. And so I, I definitely dislike I them in this, in this go-around. I think we're coming at it now from, like, a more evolved lens of we know, like, what the Perhaps, situation yeah. was with development. Mm-hmm. We know that, like, Evie was probably meant to be the true protagonist. So I think it hits us harder that... She is so clearly relegated to second fiddle to Jacob in this game. Whereas before, when we were playing it as 15-year-olds and we didn't know any of that, it was more like, oh, this is cool. He's fucking things up. She's fixing it. That's cool. <laughs> but but even even from a even just from a like her like just from a character progression, it's it's this kind of boring for Evie to yeah. that's her thing, you know? And even when I, I yeah. played it for the first time, I sort of got why the hell is Eve even fixing his mistakes? You know, she has, yeah. like, she could be doing so much more. And I, I loved Evie in this playthrough, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, I like Evie. I wanted to see more of Evie. You just had to look in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do have an annoying younger brother. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jack, but you're probably not listening. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob. Fuck you, Jack. <laughs> Gameplay. As far as gameplay yeah. goes, all right, here's the obvious gameplay thing. I'm not going to accept if anyone on this call, <coughs> Tim, <coughs> disagrees with the statement that the black box missions in this game are superb. They are excellent. They are perfect. They are the zenith of Assassin's Creed gameplay, and no one can tell me any differently. So don't even try. We all good? And that's the T. <laughs> <laughs> Tim? I... Uh, I, 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 I like the Roth one until the fire starts. Okay. Until I can live with that. mm, Yeah. The fire starting kind of just, it kind of just turns it. It feels like all of your preparation just became for nothing because then the fire happens. And it comes to set piece, but we can appreciate a good fire set piece every once in a while. Every Assassin's yeah. Creed game or two gets a good fire set piece, and I, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> and I, my favorite one was the Lucy Thorne one. I just love to get this London. big. Yes. This big area to play with, and I... Ironically, I had a technical issue with it, and I had to replay it like two or three times, <laughs> but I still loved it, because you can kind of get 
it's just there's so much to do and you just feel like you're using the opportunities, even though it's kind of guiding you more than I think the original design of the black box mission wanted you to be guided with, with Unity's implementation. It still is like satisfying to know that like I could run through and just kill this person as I frequently did the first time I played the game. Like I only took advantage of those opportunities some of the time, but to know that like you get this sort of cool, more immersive, more handcrafted experience by following up on those opportunities, just it sings. I love it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Cause I really enjoyed them for the fact that you could also just go and do it. But the way that like you have the options, some of them stack up on one another to kind of give a vibe of you can do this one part, you can do this other aspect. But if you're going for like what feels like the full vibe, I think I got this particularly with the Houses of Parliament mission with the assassination of James Brudenell. If you do all three of the options, like you steal the key, you get the password, you infiltrate that way, it feels like exactly like they would have done. Like it's steps. Yeah. Rather than just guiding. Lucy Thorne, ironically, is the only one I didn't get that vibe from. Interesting. Because they were so stretched apart that you could have done anything. Yeah. That's, I think I like the open-endedness of it, but I also like in those... I mean, I like it all. I think it's it's a testament to the system that you can have certain assassin missions play out that feel more sandboxy, do whatever you want, and missions that feel like you're following a progression while still adhering to the same design philosophy. Whereas usually Assassin's Creed games have like picked one or the other. Usually every mission is this guided handcrafted experience where you don't have a lot of freedom, or it's like a big open sandbox where there's so much freedom that there's no possibility for distinction or uniqueness between those missions. So Syndicate is like the only game, in my opinion, to nail it. Though I do think that like, there are ways to evolve Syndicate's approach in a future game that would be better than what Syndicate does. And in terms of gameplay with Syndicate, I, you know, this is this this kind of position has been echoed many times. It's you know, this isn't the first or last time someone will say something like this, but it really feels like Syndicate was the turning point for the series. Part of why it bums me out to play it is because it's very much the 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 the, the singular point where they started to value marketability over functionality. And it seemed like a lot of the times in the previous games, those things overlapped in a way, and that and that could maybe speak to what a good Assassin's Creed game is. But, you know, you see AC2 and Italian Renaissance, probably the most marketable setting ever that you could do for a video game. And it also matches the functionality of, of an AC game because of the tall buildings and architecture and whatnot. Um, uh, I, I would even argue AC3 is is in that case because it's functional, not so much with the colonial architecture, but there's this there's this frontier tree running, mountain climbing system that's implemented to make it work. So, an American Revolution is also a marketable setting, but they did something they did something with Syndicate that most people hate, and they said Victorian London, very marketable. We're not going to make it functional, and if <laughs> if we if we can't make it functional, too bad, and. It, that has been the case for the rest of the series. Are you speaking purely about the parkour experience? Well, what I mean is is by functional Victorian London being marketable, uh, you know, because it's a very popular time period. A lot of literature it was inspired by that time, and people know about it. But they literally gave they they, they give you a mechanic that's that like supersedes parkour because they couldn't make it work, or perhaps didn't want to, or take on that job. And I feel that is. Also, you know, what you always re- refer to with how, you know, the assassin, the assassin fantasy would come second. I think 
these are two sides of that coin is now also the gameplay is it's it's the same thing with Valhalla with it being uh, Vikings is super marketable, but it's not functional for an AC game. I would love to know exactly what motivated the decision of like, well, let's have these really wide streets and this rope launcher. I really wonder like if it changed because it had to, or if it changed because they wanted it to ultimately, like I mostly have the same feelings as you on the rope launcher. I also just don't really love the parkour experience in syndicate, but I do think mm-hmm. that I hold Syndicate's navigation experience in a higher regard than a lot of these later games. Not because like, oh, there's some parkour that's better than no parkour, but just that I find that it manages to be fun for me in just a different way. Whereas like running around on a horse in Origins Odyssey or Valhalla is never going to be like a fun, engaging traversal experience. But in Syndicate, you know, if you get a big old zip line and you're just zooming across the rooftops or, or you're climbing a really high, you know, viewpoint really fast. Obviously, it's not the parkour experience I want from an Assassin's Creed game, but I am having fun. Like I'm having a different kind of fun. I agree. Yeah. You know. It's more of that will f- it's more of that wish fulfillment thing again, isn't it? Yeah. It's a romanticized version of Victorian London and the game's mechanic of what you would want. Yeah. It's very it's really weird though. The rope launcher is probably, you know, including the pieces of Eden. The most just unbelievable piece of gear and technology <laughs> that's in the series. Yeah. What is propelling it? Where's the rub? No, that's true. How do they not dislocate their shoulders every time they use it? <laughs> well, the hook blade. You could say something about the hook blade. Yeah, and and I mean the the hidden blade itself is barely like possible to emulate in real life. So mm-hmm. it 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 is only if you don't take the secret the, the the secret crusade version of it. The secret crusade version of it, it could very well happen. There pe- there people have made versions of it that work just with like the that. ring. But yeah, but I'm just saying like w- w- with the pinky thing. Ninety yeah. percent of hidden blades you see in Assassin's Creed are not physically possible so like i agree with you i just think the they had it to where it could have been physically possible and they just didn't for some i i think that with the rope launcher the bigger disappointment i mean obviously i would have loved to swing around victorian london like a victorian, victorian spider-man but wow you both said <laughs> at the same time <laughs> but uh it's more disappointing that there's no combat functionality it doesn't feel quite as well integrated to the game when you know, you contrast it with the hook blade frequently. Uh, and we've talked about this before, but like there's no universe that I can imagine where an assassin is given a tool that lets them shoot ropes hundreds of yards away and they never use it to kill anybody. <laughs> they never tie it around someone's neck. There's no there's no rope dart like functionality that uses it. I, I can't tell you how many times in Syndicate I was hovering over a crowd of enemies wishing I could just pluck one up. Like, how is that not the most obvious thing to do with that this game? That would be so much fun, though. I will never see that as anything other than a complete failure, that they did not do that. It's also just a shame that, just it, at the bare minimum, you can't aim the thing. Yeah. Why can't I aim the rope launcher? I can aim everything else. If I want to go through a tree, then damn it, I'm going through a tree. Hell yeah. As far as other gameplay stuff goes, I really enjoy... Combat sucks. You know, you know... Sorry, yeah. <laughs> well, that's just... All right, let me ask you this. AC4 combat versus syndicate combat. What would you rather have? AC4. Yeah. I think, I I think, I think, I think, I think, I think I might say syndicate. And let me, <gasps> and hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> AC4 combat always felt more prompty than syndicates did. I appreciate that they're like health bars because health bars let you make 
slightly more strategic decisions about which enemy to focus on. That adds a bit of depth. Uh, the tool combos and stuff you can do in Syndicate look kind of cool. The multi-finishers also add a bit of strategy where you have to like get a few enemies at that low health level in the same place. So for me, there's more to do and think about in Syndicate Combat than there is in AC4. Also, I find that Syndicate Combat can be somewhat challenging either when you're mobbed by enemies or when you're just not fully upgraded. Like every time I replayed Syndicate, if I was just jumping back into the game after already completing it, yeah, the combat is piss easy. Once you have everything upgraded, you can literally fight any number of enemies with no risk whatsoever. But when you're starting out and you're level one, little nooblit fuckboy, uh, you can get your ass kicked, I think. Maybe I just suck at the game. But yeah, I got no, I agree. No, times. I agree. No, yeah, I totally agree that with you. That happened to me too. So I think I hate the combat less than I did before on these grounds. I, I just, I don't like the, the close ranged aspect of it. I don't like I don't like the it's... speed. I don't like the animations. It's also really strange how th there's this kind of disconnect with, with the controller that you have because you press X, at least I pressed X, and that doesn't hit once. It hits twice. So you hit X and it like punches twice and so yeah. one hit isn't one hit, and so... Or you get, like, a punch or a kick and something as well. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels yeah. a bit yeah. button mashy rather than, let's wait for the countersign for, like, <laughs> earlier titles. <laughs> I think it was Walshy who said in his, like, AC Combat video that Syndicate is, like, beating someone to death with your car keys. Yeah. And I think that's a, <laughs> that's a perfect way to put it, because it very much is. It's very death by a thousand cuts. It's so slow and obnoxious, and... I wish the sword cane operated like a sword that you just put back into the cane afterwards. Instead, it's just a dagger, and I don't like that. Yeah, mm. that's fair. I Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that, yeah, the combat is, it is kind of piss, but there, there, there are things that, like, it's not like Unity where there's just, like, where it's slow and clunky and there's just no mechanical depth. Like, it's there's some mechanical depth here. It's just also really fast, kind of goofy looking, and not super satisfying or juicy to play. I've got the same vibe with the gangs as well. Yeah. Like the, it, was just, it was sort of, looking back on things like you've got the Falakitai, you've got the mm. um, mercenary system, you've got uh, Yom's yeah. Viking now. Like, you've there's more of, like, this <laughs> connectability of like you're gonna put more strategy and care into stuff like this rather than just go to a map or go to the menu and click an upgrade the they feel more like cannon fodder yeah i think when you compare to some of the earlier titles with like the brotherhood mechanic for instance it was interesting that like I think part of the problem is you have to like deliberately recruit rooks and then you have to manage them. If it was like the brotherhood system where I could summon them with a button press and they would do an action for me, I think I would use them all the time because I love that system in the older games. I think that would be quite cool. Because I have to consciously like approach a rook, press L1 to recruit and then and then they have to follow me around. Like that just gets really uh, mm. frustrating to think about when I'm like trying to parkour somewhere. There's a lot of layers between you and using Exactly. Them, you know? And so even though I've tried like my philosophy when I replay Syndicate is I'll try to just recruit a rook whenever I see them and then not think about them too much. And then if they can help me in a particular thing that happens, then yay. But it removes you from the act of having to choose when and how you use them, which you can do with the recruits. Yeah. And it feels like sort of a detachment because it's like, if it's that much of an effort to go and find them, why am I going to find them? Right, right. And then on the other side, it's like when a rook dies in a fight it's like 
who cares? Okay, and then move along rather than like when it was yeah. a recruit in a brotherhood mission and it's like they have a name they're named and it's saying they didn't come back from their mission and you feel like that little twinge of regret or something. Yeah. There's no like emotional yeah. stakes with it. It's just an NPC. There's an interesting relationship between how dynamic the open world is and how dynamic or responsive the this sort of system has to be to it. So like, you know, you can see in Origins with the with the Falakes, Falakatai, yeah. They w- What are you saying? What is that what are you what is that word? It's they're like the they're like the bounty hunters in Origins. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I, I was like so uh, horrendously overleveled ones. <laughs> yeah. There's 10 of them, so you get that part of it. But there are also this randomness. They can hunt you and stuff like that. It's a very dynamic system for a very dynamic open world. And then in Syndicate, you know, uh, the Rooks, because they're placed deliberately in certain areas, that is the designers trying to say, okay, well, we want there to be like a design to where, oh, if we put a bunch of Rooks near the opening to this area, then it's going to tell the player, like, I can recruit the rooks and use them to my advantage in this scenario. So it's like almost a little bit more handcrafted, but it kind of just, yeah, for all the other reasons we've said earlier, like it just doesn't come together. And I've also had it like the opposite way where I'll I'll see deliberately positioned rooks and I recruit them and then they ruin everything for me. (laughs) Like they just fuck (laughs) things up, you know? It's also interesting because I I completely agree with you. I I also think um, that, if there were characters that were rooks and that you had as like lieutenants, like you were saying, or just characters that you would go and do things for to help your rooks, I feel like, as Louise was saying, it's it's really uh, frustrating just to open up a menu and hit gang upgrades. And I, I always felt like when I would upgrade my assassins in previous games, I, I, it would be nice to see that reflected in like how well they do in fights and how well they do the missions and the, the new weapons and armor that they were wearing. Similar to Revelations, where you have certain assassins who you can do master assassin missions with, they could have had rooks that you could do that with. And yeah, sure, some could be cannon fodder, but there, I think there should have been rooks that were characters. And the the cover of the game implies as much because there's a bunch of people on the cover of the game that are no one that you ever meet in the game. Anyway, yeah, the only like named rook blight you get is in the driving Mrs. Disraeli mission. Yeah, John the Tosser. That is all we get. <laughs> the tosser John, John the tosser, tosser. John the bloody tosser mate yeah I <laughs> I think they could have split the difference like maybe there could have been named rook lieutenants that you could summon that were more powerful in combat but you could do one at a time but if you needed an all out brawl that's when you'd run around the corner and recruit three rooks and send them to your bidding but Ultimately, yeah, it's it's similar to the rope launcher in that Syndicate has the problem that many Assassin's Creed games have, probably all of them out of I would, outside of the first handful have, of the systems being so separate from each other that they rarely come together in a cohesive way. As far as other, like, we've talked about combat, we've talked about parkour, I think we do have to talk about stealth, because I, I consider Syndicate to have some of the most satisfying stealth gameplay in the series, personally. yeah. Like there are some games that have come after it that I really don't like the stealth and will prefer the stealth from Syndicate. Oh, One yeah. or two Easily. like other franchisey games I've liked stealth from, but no, Syndicate's still one of my top for stealth. Excluding like that believability element of when Evie unlocks that special ability where she turns invisible. <laughs> yeah like it's in universe explained of she's lowering her heart rate she's holding her breath but nope she's invisible <laughs> it's it's yeah it sucks but 
we've always considered AC4 to have uh, good stealth because the rules are so clear. You know, stay in the bushes. You can see where people are pointing. And they, it gives you tools and rules, and you can sort of play with them as you need to to get a thing done. Syndicate, I feel like, steps that up a level by also being that way. You know, there are clear rules. There are clear tools. Um, just that it's not as simple as stay in the bushes. You don't just have half of your terrain be a hiding spot that you can just move through un- uninterrupted. You have to think about cover. It's just, I feel like it works really well. The cover system, like, isn't stupid and broken. Altogether, it's just, mwah, it works. Best stealth, I think, in an Assassin's Creed game. I still think Black Flag is the best stealth that I've played. I still think you're wrong and stupid, so. It's definitely better than Syndicates. <laughs> There's something about Syndicates that's just a, a, kind of frustrates me. I do think your complaint in Unity about how you're visible to other guards when you do a cover kill, that still frustrated me in this game. I think they probably did it that way because I think if it were the opposite, there are a number of times in stealth instances where you could just one by one whistle, cover, kill, whistle, cover, kill, whistle, cover, kill, and then never have to leave the spot. So I kind of get it more, but it still is frustrating. It still feels like you're being thrown into combat uh, against your will. It's also strange how in Syndicate, I always felt like when I would whistle, I would attract way more than I wanted to. I just want one guard, and sometimes I would get two. You get five. Whereas in Rogue, the, the whistle is perfect. The, yeah. In Rogue, uh, you know, the, the, the whistle, it's just, here's exactly how far your whistle's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm surprised they never brought that back with whistling. I also don't know if the, if the little sound circle around Evie or Jacob is ever useful. I feel like it always just gets in the way. That's fair. But it's, it's just kind of, it's always annoying when you just have a big, I, there's just something about Syndicate Stealth, which is definitely an improvement on Unity's, but I, I don't, I never, I didn't fall in love with it or anything. Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's allowed. So where is, remind me again, where, on what number is Syndicate has on your rankings, Tim? It is number six. What? I mean, like mine's number four. I guess we're not that far off. Is that too low for you, Louise? Yes. <laughs> I was so frustrated with, with Syndicate when I was finishing it. I was just, I think I like Unity more than this. I was so mad at it. And I, you know, and we'll see. We'll see how Origins fares in terms of moving that list around, you know. I'm so excited for to hear your thoughts on Origins. It's In some ways, it's what the whole podcast has been building up to. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of you have played the DLCs yet, have you? For which game? Either. Uh, well, Syndicate, I definitely played Jack the Ripper, but I didn't replay it for this episode. I will give a one summary review on my opinion of that. I like it, yeah. but I am terrified. I am not a horror gamer. <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it horror? It's too spooky for you? It's too it's dark? It's too spooky for me. Aw. Too spooky for Louise. Too spooky. Three spooky, five Louise. Yeah, I... I first time I played it, I got to mission four. <laughs> like just bomb straight to mission four and then stopped and i haven't picked it up since yeah so i think uh all in all syndicate you know this playthrough didn't really change my opinion of it too much ultimately i i just will always have a soft spot for syndicate like if revelations wasn't so goddamn good 
in a way that I could only appreciate now because I rushed the hell through it the first time to get to AC3. It would, I think Syndicate, I still want Syndicate to be in my top three. Like I almost just want to elevate it because I feel like it deserves more credit. I feel like it's fun and it's it's tightly designed as far as the gameplay goes. And it's one of the better Assassin's Creed experiences I've had. It's just, yeah, it's not all there. It's not perfect. It's got some, it's got some issues. All these games kind of do. Yeah. But only thing I have noted in my notes that I uh, that I wrote down for this episode that I haven't gotten to bring up, and I I know there was some reason I wrote this down, but I can't remember why I wrote this down. Uh, but I wrote can't spell cookery without cup. <laughs> <laughs> what? I feel like there was a specific reason that I did that, and I don't remember. What I it was. wrote the only note I wrote down is playing politics is a well directed and acted mission. Show some good Jacob character. <laughs> 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 and it's true that it's that's a really good Paul Amos performed mission, and I and I think it was where I was like Jacob's pretty cool, um in a in the sea of worthless person he is. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, we haven't even like touched on the World War One mission yet. Oh my god, it's true. But I don't know. I don't have much to say about World War One other than other that than I love I it. Like it. And I want a full Lydia Fry game. I, I want it to be more than it is because of course I do. I It is a little like silly that she's powering around with Winston Churchill and he's like, maybe if you do this for me, I'll give women the the vote. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, no, that's yeah, not what he said. Sure. That's not what he said. If, it's, it's a joke. He'd I lobby get it. for it, yeah. <laughs> but, but it is a little goofy, right? But on the same frame, if you had that linked back in with Evie, you could have had like John Stuart Mill in Parliament, so... Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> the story is pretty thin, but I like, I appreciate the ambition of it. I think that about does it for this chat about syndicate. Thank you so much, Louise, AKA the nerdy archer <laughs> for, for joining <laughs> us. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having my chaos. <laughs> Are you actually an archer? I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? I'm on my archery team at uni. At I uni. At university. Are you actually nerdy? Very nerdy. <laughs> i'm nerdy enough to get an assassin's creed tattoo so yeah Ooh, which would do you have one already i've got it planned to like oh, in the next okay, couple okay. of weeks Ooh, what is it what is it gonna be exactly it's gonna be a rook <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's kind of brilliant because because no one has to know it's an assassin's creed tattoo yeah, yeah. people just think oh cool bird yeah <laughs> barb Cool burp. <laughs> That's genius. I want to get a tattoo of nothing is true, everything is permitted, but it's all misspelled. Just, just to like really encapsulate how Ubisoft has treated the franchise. My ultimate Assassin's Creed reference is going to be Requiescat in Pace on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that about does it. Thank you so much, Louise, and thank you for listening. Those of you out there listening to this, uh, if you enjoy the show, there are a number of ways you can support us that don't cost you anything. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Hookblade. And uh, all that stuff goes a long way to uh, feeding our egos and encouraging us to keep doing more of this. So <laughs> we appreciate all of that. I guess that does it. Thank you, Louise. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been the hook. And I've been the blade.
And together we've been, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, see you next time. Yeah.